Mac Power Users, Episode 19, One Password. Hello, everybody. It's David Sparks here, along with my friend Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I am getting excited. It's getting Macworld time. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm not sure when this will publish, but tomorrow I'm getting on a plane and heading up to San Francisco. The goal is if to publish before I get on a plane, so hopefully that will happen. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait to go. Uh, but today we're here to talk about 1Password. Yeah, this is another one of our um, one application, one episode type episodes, which I, I think people tend to like. And 1Password is certainly an application that I'm very passionate about. So I, I think we'll we'll have enough to fill a show here. Yeah, the thing about 1Password is it really changes the way that you handle your password security. And we've talked about it a little bit in prior shows, but I think it's worthy of its own show. Uh, but first, let's talk a bit about the problem that led to 1Password. Uh, you know, it used to be that most people I know, for my case I did, has two or three passwords because you can't remember them all. So you've got the simple password that you use for, like, the throwaway sites that where you're logging into a forum or something. And for me, that used to be... Password. That was the password. Oh, yeah. that's really bad. Yeah, no, it is. And then I had one that was slightly more intense, and then one that I thought was my high security password, which got used on like banking sites and things like that. And the practice is ridiculous because if someone cracks one of your three passwords on any site, then they can crack them on all of your sites. They already have the password. Uh, but we were faced with the problem: well, how are you going to come up with a different password for every site? And how are you going to remember it? And there's all these goofy ways, you know, you could do it with text files and, you know, a little black book and different things like that. But one password came out and really, as soon as I figured out what they were doing, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, I think I bought the license within 10 minutes of downloading it. Yeah, I was the same way. Corey actually introduced me to one password. I hadn't heard of it before and downloaded the demo and really liked the concept, but like many people was skeptical of, okay, is this really safe? What happens if I can't get my data out of it? And we're going to talk about some of those things later in the show, but um, it is, I don't know if it's number one, Dropbox is probably number one, but it is probably the second thing that I install on every new Mac. The only reason Dropbox is first is because I have to install Dropbox to get my one password. Yeah, it's definitely uh, very useful uh, for any Mac user. And so let's talk a little bit about the basics of 1Password and what it does. Uh, in case you haven't figured it out yet, 1Password is a password management application. And when you install it, it's got a, a standalone app, but it also in, installs a little button on all of your browsers and other... And it will integrate with just about any browser that will work for Mac. I know definitely Safari, Firefox, Camino, OmniWeb... Um, NetNewsWire, which has the WebKit built-in browser. I know it works with WebKit, and I'm sure there are others as well. Yeah, in fact, that's one of the reasons, I think, an overriding reason why everybody loves 1Password so much is that it is very actively developed. Um, the development team does not waste a second. Every time there's a new version of Safari that comes out, or even when they have the betas out, it, you didn't measure how long it took them to get a version working in the new beta by days, or weeks, you measured it by hours. I mean, quite honestly. Yeah, it was the Safari beta came out in the morning. Oh, I'll just wait till I get home from work. One password will be updated by then. Yeah, it, it worked that well. And they still do that. It's a you know very well-developed team. They're always trying to make it better. But 
you know, the thing that's, that's great is once you have one password installed and you're working in your browser, uh, whenever you go to a site that you need, for instance, to create a new password, you click on the little one password icon. In my case, it's a one with a P next to it. And it gives you a drop down and that drop down has several options. But one of the, one of the great options is the strong password generator. So you click on that and it opens a little dialog box and it generates a random password for you with um, numbers and letters and various capitalization. You can adjust the length with a slider. Uh, you can have some other advanced options on it. You can like make it so it's pronounceable or avoids ambiguous characters, you know, cause you always get zero and O confused or something like that. And right. it fills it in for you. So the first thing that you use one password for is creating new secure passwords. And, uh, like, for instance, with my bank, every time we have a time change, I go and change the password with my bank. I do that with a lot of my websites. And I have That's this. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. So I have this like 20 digit number. And, uh, <laughs> my wife needed to get into the bank and I, I sent it to her and she thought I was crazy, but it's, it's great. Nobody's going to break into my, uh, my bank account with these long passwords. And, uh, it's a lot easier to have one password do it for you than to sit down and try and randomly, you know, bash numbers out of your keyboard. Yeah, um, I, this is a an area of 1Password that I've just fairly recently started using, and I've been skeptical, and maybe still I'm not quite 100%, so maybe you'll help me drink the Kool-Aid. But, you know, my concern, and it's become less of a concern with version 3.0, is that I always felt like I wanted to know or have some kind of general idea of what my passwords were, so that if I was out and about, if I wasn't at my computer, um that I wouldn't be completely locked out of my sites because you can imagine, you know, if I'm traveling, if I don't have access to my computer and there's a problem, if I need to get into some place, um, you know, I, I'm definitely not going to remember this 20 character randomly generated password. However, that's definitely become easier with the newer versions of one password and because of the mobile app and one uh, password anywhere. So what do you think about that? Do you have all of your passwords generated with one password? Would you recommend that? Yeah, I do all of them. Even stupid, you know, newsreader and forum sites, I have ge one password generate all of them. You just have to, you just have to accept it. I mean, you've got the iPhone app, which you can back up to or restore from. Uh, so you've right. always got that in your pocket. Uh, I'm going to have it on my iPad in a few months. You know, you're going to have this in multiple places. I also have two computers. I guess maybe that's another reason why I'm more comfortable with it. You're only working on one, but. Uh, you can back up and export the file, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, there's really no reason not to have it do all of your passwords for you. Very secure. I mean, it, it's the advice that you always were given but could never really follow of having truly random uh, data passwords on each of your sites. So you just have to let go and trust the force. Yeah. So, so you're at a new site and you have it generate the password for you. You go on and do the rest of your login information and once you uh, you get logged in, one uh, password drops a little. Uh, I, I'd almost want to call it like a little JavaScript. I'm not sure how it's programmed at, at the top of your browser. Yeah, it's, it's not really a pop up, but it it's a little window. Yeah, it's just a little window, and it says, "Hey, do you want me to remember this? And how do you want me to name it?" And you go ahead and fill in the information if you want. You can tag it or categorize it, categorize it, and then it remembers that forever. And when I go to my other Mac, it's because everything syncs up. I can log in just as easy. And 
it's really nice uh, when you go, you know, and it detects the site that you're on. So just the basic usage of this application is getting yourself into websites and, you know, web 2.0 logins and anything where you need to log in with a password. I mean, that's the, the most underlying usage scenario for this app, but there's a lot more to it. Right. And as we've been insinuating, version three brings a whole lot of more of these improvements, which came out of beta. I guess it's been a couple of months now. We've been holding off doing the show until version three came out of beta until we had some time to play with it. Um, but everything that you loved about version pa- uh, one password in the previous versions gets a lot better and a lot prettier in version three. Just in, in terms of, of UI differences, some of the things about version 3, it has a much slicker, a much more, I guess it was always a Mac-feeling UI before, but it's got a very slick UI. Um, you can now see little previews. They've got a little cleverly paper-clipped preview of all of your websites. So if you're looking through your passwords and you're not quite sure, is this for the website? I think it is. You can see a little snapshot um, preview of the website. Um, and then it just allows you to do a lot of tagging. We're seeing that coming uh, more and more in a lot of apps, so you can tag, these are um, my banking-related websites, these are my financial-related websites, these are my work-related websites, and, and so forth and so on. I probably haven't taken as much advantage of the tags as I should have. Well, I don't really use tags in 1Password. I mean, it, the the application knows what passwords I need for what websites. I don't really see any point of going through and organizing them. Although once in a while I will go through and blow out old passwords that, that don't belong there. And sometimes when you change passwords, uh, you can in- incur multiple instances of uh, password right. entry for one site. Uh, with version 3, they really improve that. And, in fact, now it will drop down and say, do you want me to create a new one or do you want me to replace the existing one for Zappos? And right. and that's really nice. Uh, usually it works. Sometimes something goes haywire. So eventually you need to go through and clean it out once in a while. And that, and that would be my only request, and I have not found this, so let me know if I'm wrong. But you know how iTunes has a find duplicates feature? I really wish 1Password had some kind of find duplicates feature because occasionally I you know, I end up with a couple of passwords for a site and it takes me one or two or sometimes three tries to figure out, okay, which one's the new one? Yeah. Um, well, they, they, they aren't duplicates in that essence. They're, they're different passwords That's true. for they're the not same duplicates. site. But you can search right. the application. Uh, one of the v- version three features is it has smart groups and it has one smart group built in called all. And you can search your entire database uh, using the little finder search built into one password. So it has that feature yeah, to I a just... certain extent. So if you type in Zappos, then and you get two or three entries, then you can go through and figure it out. Uh, they've got a date right. field in there so you can figure out the most recent. But the trick is to try and keep on top of them as you go in. But in addition, yeah, that's the easiest way. Yeah, I'm sorry. In addition to using one password to put in passwords, there's a there's a lot of other functionality in it. One of the two of the ones that I use all the time is the personal identity and credit card feature. So in one password, in addition to keeping track of your sites, it's got a tab that keeps track of of yourself, and you can put in your various data and your address and all the stuff people generally ask you for when you register for web services or or buy something. And so then when you go to fill in all those fields, you can just go up to one password and it gives you a, a section called fill me. And I've got my name in there and it's got all my data. I click that once and it goes through and detects the fields, you know, and it reads a field for name and a field for address. So it generally gets your data in there correctly. So you don't have to go through and fill in every field and you don't have to have your browser keep this information. And I guess that's a point I should have made 
about the passwords. One of the nice things about 1Password, it has its own secure database. Um, you know, a lot of browsers have built-in password support, but that's just open in the browser preference files, so people can get in there and get all those passwords. Right. Um, one of the things that I strongly recommend to people is when when they first start using 1Password, you can import all that autofill data that you've saved um, from Safari or all those passwords that you've saved from Safari or from Firefox. But, you know, once you've decided that 1Password works for you and that's the way that you want to go for it, um, blow that data out of your web browser and then also go into your keychain utility inside um, the OS and make sure that data is all blown out of there because you you, you don't want to lose your security by any means by having that data accessible in other places. Um, but one thing I did want to add with regards to the identities is you can also have multiple identities. Um, if you want to um, have David at home, you can have your home information, your home phone number. If you're doing something for work, you can have your work information, your work address, your work home, uh, your work phone number. Um, and so depending on the different identities that you have, if you have a small business and you want to have a personal and a business and then a, uh, another type of identity, you can. So you can just pick down. And depending on what site you're on or what you're filling in the information for, you can figure out whichever one works best. Even if you have multiple identities? Even if you have multiple identities. If you have aliases, if you're a, um, a spy, and you have multiple passports and multiple, um, you know. Multiple personalities? You multiple personalities will work. All right. You can also uh, purchase stuff. You know, use your, you put your credit card information in. And this is dangerous. You know, not from a security standpoint. <laughs> it's always dangerous it's, uh, when you uh, when you put your card in on a website. And uh, can you tell? I recently bought shoes. You know, Zappos says, "Yeah, hey, uh, would you like us to remember your credit card number for you?" And you know, they don't. Uh, no, thank yeah, they you. don't have a button for hell no, but they do have a button for no. So go ahead and click that one. But in, right, in, I just meant it's dangerous in the sense of. Oh, all I have to do is go push this button. I don't have to go walk and find my wallet and actually think about this purchase. Yeah, but I mean, I, I agree with you. It is dangerous in that way. Yeah. But the, the neat thing is this feature allows you to actually have your credit card data securely in your computer and able to fill in it automatically without having to leave it on websites. And it keeps track of all the various credit cards you have. Um, and you, it fills in not only the number, it fills in the expiration date, it fills in the secret three number identity if you'd like. So, you can very easily uh, fill that data in without having to go track down your wallet. So it's it's convenient. You still have to show a little restraint, obviously. A little personal restraint. Yes. And another feature that they have, and now I've been generally talking about the stuff you can do from within the browser. If you start getting into the standalone application, there's a lot of neat features in there as well. A lot of times I hear people talking about their solutions to keep track of secure data. And they say, well, you know, I have one password, or they'll say, I have my passwords in one application, or they'll say, I have a text file or something. And then I have another special file that I keep secret information in that's not really passwords. And I hear all these really complicated descriptions of what people do, and I think they're missing the boat because one password really answers all of those needs. In the standalone application, not only do you keep, does it have a list of all these logins and identities that you've created, it also has what they call secure notes. And it's just what it sounds like. It's a bunch of notes that you can add in there. And when you close down your pass, your 1Password database, they're locked up tight. So I keep all sorts of interesting stuff in there 
um, about, you know, insurance information and, you know, social security numbers for the kids and just, you know, anything that I can think of, like some of my logins for, um, for work that don't really get used on a computer, but I need to have access for them. Any kind of important information you want that you don't want someone just opening your computer being able to read, you can put in there. And that's a great little feature as well. We've talked a lot about this on our, our various episodes where we've talked about managing information um, and, you know, things that we necessarily wouldn't want to put in our normal personal information managers, things that I wouldn't want to put in Evernote because I don't want it synced to the cloud or I don't want it available um, offline or or whatnot. One password is a good place to put those types of things. And since one password is on your iPhone and since you have access to one password using their one password anywhere feature, you really don't have to worry about being without this information, whereas otherwise, you know, I had it in a text file or I had it in my keychain or because you can also have secure notes inside your keychain uh, inside the Mac OS. Um, but I never had it with me when I needed it, you know, when I was in the insurance agent's office filling out this form or, or whatnot. Yeah, the, the iPhone app is really the magic sauce that really makes it great uh, on the road. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But this secure notes is a feature I think a lot of people aren't aware is there. And if you start using it, you'll find that that's really the place to go. And now I know anything that I need that is any way security related or or something I don't want to share, I just go to one application and it's all there. And I think that's great. Another nice feature in the new version, version 3, is the ability to attach files. You know, a lot of times you'll buy software and they don't have a licensed key. They actually have a, a licensed file that you drop onto sure. the application. And now they and you previously always had to manage those separately. Yeah, that was that was the one Achilles heel for me because then I'd have to have a folder and I'd have to have those those files in there and go track them down if I ran a problem. Not true anymore. Now I can just drag the file into one password and it'll keep it for me. Right. One password also just because of the nature of the way it works gives you some additional protections of things we like to think we don't have to worry about on Macs, but Sometimes we do, and, and um, I think we will even more in the future. Um, but it helps to protect you from keyloggers and from phishing sites because, you know, if you if you do happen to click on a link on an email and you think that you're going to PayPal but you're really going to some random site, uh, you know, the first thing that I'm going to do if I really am going to log in is I'm going to go up to 1Password and have it autofill my login. And what you'll find when you get to one of those sites is 1Password will say, no logins available for this site. And that yes. should definitely, you know, make you think twice about, oh, maybe I'm not really where I thought I was. Yeah. So let's stop on that point for a minute. You know, generally, you go to PayPal. And if you've created your 1Password secure, you know, un <laughs> very uneasily broken password, you know, with all these letters and numbers and everything in it, 1Password uh, pops up and it gives you the ability to fill your login. Now, the way it's doing that is 1Password is looking at the URL that you're currently on. Well, what these fishers do is they'll create a website that looks just like PayPal, but the actual address will be a little different because they're diverting it somewhere to steal your information. 1Password will look at that and say, hey, this isn't the PayPal site. So when you go and click to fill it in, it doesn't show up. And then the red flag goes up and you, and you look at the URL or you do whatever it takes to realize, okay, this is a phishing attempt. Someone is not getting me. And if you're a Mac user, you are just as vulnerable to that attack as 
a PC user without virus software. It has nothing to do with virus. Definitely. Absolutely. It's just a phishing attack. Somebody trying to, to, you know, get you to bite on the line and reel you in. So one uh, password is a great way to help protect that stuff. It also helps protect you from key logging and key logging is kind of the same thing. I don't think we're as vulnerable on the Mac, but that's something to be aware of. A key logger. Right, and that's what I meant. So I apologize if there was any confusion. Definitely Mac users are just as susceptible to phishing attempts. They're probably a little more safe from key loggers just because there aren't that many out there, but I'm sure there are some and I'm sure there will be more in the future. Yeah. So a key logger is an application. It's malicious code that goes on your computer and it just remembers this keystrokes you type in and it creates a simple file and it sends it off to whoever uh, set, put it on your computer. And one of the things they'd look on there for are password strings. So every key that you get typed gets logged in. Well, one password isn't typed in. You know, when you click on fill with the one password, it drops the file into the field on the computer without you ever typing it. So if you're being, if there's a key logger on your computer, it's never going to get those passwords. So that's another bit of little security that you get out of it. Right. They've also made some updates to 1Password in version 3, especially if you're using Snow Leopard. Um, you're going to like the fact that it is 64-bit now. Many of us have 64-bit capable Macs, so you're going to find it's a little bit faster um, under under Snow Leopard and fully compatible with Snow Leopard. And I was pleased that they had a beta ready as soon as Snow Leopard came out that was, I thought, very stable, and then the actual release candidate came out not long after that. Yeah, I, I spoke with the folks at 1Password last year at Macworld, and they were talking about how excited they were with version 3. And I think what really happened was they spent a lot of time in versions 1 and 2 making a great application and building in all the functionality and the really the high-end encryption and password generation tools that it has. And I think they built version 3 solving a lot of the UI problems, you know, just kind of thinking over about how we're going to make this more useful. And I was in I was in it through the beta, and they really made a lot of improvements. You can tell throughout the beta they were trying to polish it. And uh, the version 3 now, there's just really no reason not to get it. I, I can't imagine a Mac user who wouldn't want an application like us on their computer. Right. And if you are still using version 2, you can use it with Snow Leopard, but you do have to force your web browser to run in 32-bit mode only. Yeah, this is one where I think you should just go ahead and, and get it. The upgrade, oh, the upgrade is totally worth it. Uh, one of the other nice features that they have in the uh, the new version is these the ability to add a smart folder so you can group the uh, tags and passwords together if you'd like. Um, it also keeps a list of your generated passwords. Sometimes, for one reason or another, you generate a password, but you don't create a one password entry for that website and realize it later. Oops. Yeah, you can go back and it actually get, has a list of the generated passwords that you've put together, which is pretty useful. Uh, they also have a nice little easy way to understand how secure your password is with a, a bar that, you know, rates green, yellow, red. So you can see if you're, you know, depending on what kind of site you want, you may want to get that bar up to red so you have a really secure password. Right. But, you know, I think now's a good time to take a break and talk a little bit about our sponsor this week. Yeah, we want to thank uh, Smile on My Mac for being our first sponsor of the Mac Power Users podcast. And it's hard to talk about 1Password without talking about Text Expander. Because I think, David, I think you said Text Expander and 1Password are kind of like peanut butter and chocolate. Yeah, they are. They work together really well. And in a lot of ways, they don't work together well. And let me explain that. Uh, you know, Text Expander 
is an application that is is kind of like a keyboard logger. It's it's logging what you're typing, and if you put in certain key combinations, it goes and auto-fills that, and it does it really efficiently. I use it every day, all the time, for everything from billing entries to omni-focus entries. I use it, I type entire contract provisions with it. It's just a great application. Uh, however, it is not a good application to fill passwords in with, which is what some people do with it. So Text Expander now also has a version available for the iPhone, the iPod Touch, as well as the standard version that's available on the Mac. And you can program as many, I guess back in the day we would call these macros, maybe not, um, or snippets in there as you want. And all you need is, um, as David said, a keyboard combination, and it will autofill whatever you text you've pre-programmed it. So if you want to use it for email signatures, it's great. Um, if you want to use it for standard form language that you tend to use in contracts or in emails or in everyday correspondence, it works well for that. And one of the things that I like about Text Expander is it tells me how much time I've saved. If you go into the Text Expander system preferences, and I think if you... Um, click the register button. It will tell you um, how many snippets I've expanded and how many characters I've saved. Um, and it says that it has saved me 16.74 hours, assuming I type at 80 words per minute. That's pretty nice. Uh, you know, another thing, nice thing about Text Expander is that uh, it doesn't just put text in, it also puts graphics and other objects in. For instance, my email signature includes a little graphic of my signature of my first name and then it's got a graphic for the mac power users and for the mac sparky logo and all of this is done at the end of an email just by typing msig and it drops all that stuff in and it's a great looking signature uh, you can use it for just about anything on your mac it it's prevalent in every application so if you put your spell checking list in there you now automatically have spell checking anywhere you type Actually, I guess I wouldn't say spell checking, spell replacement. It, you know, the words, it replaces the misspelled words, and there's some really great resources for those lists online. But getting back. Right, and Smile on My Mac can, can give you some as well. For example, if you type um, T E H instead of T H E, mine just is pre programmed, it will autocorrect and move on. Yeah, and but getting back to my point earlier, if you're putting in passwords, you don't want to save those as snippets in, in uh, Text Expander. You don't want to type in your Zappos password by Z-A-P-P-P-A-S because then anybody who has your computer can look at your Text Expander snippet library and have all your passwords. So mm-hmm. it really has a good fit with 1Password in that, you know, Text Expander handles everything else. 1Password handles the password. And through now until the end of February, you can receive 20% off any Smile on My Mac products by going to smileonmymac.com slash MPU. And we also have a link on our website at macpowerusers.com that will get you that deal. Yeah, make sure you take advantage of that because it's only till the end of February. And uh, I understand that a lot of our listeners are taking advantage of it. And I'm really happy to hear that, that we can save everybody some money. The uh, I think it's a great fit between uh, Smile on My Mac and the Mac Power Users podcast because I think our listeners and their products have a lot in common it's all about getting things done faster so check it out you've only got a few more weeks left so uh, take advantage of it 
Well, let's get back to talking about 1Password. And I think we've done a pretty good job of covering um, some of the features of the 1Password application for your Mac. But as we've talked about, there are also other ways to access your 1Password database and to keep it in sync with multiple Macs. So let's talk a little bit about everything else you can do with 1Password that doesn't involve being directly inside the application, the desktop application. Okay, what's first? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think first we've probably got to talk about the um, the app, the One Password app that's available for the iPhone, the iPod Touch, and obviously it will also be available on the new iPad. Yeah, it's a great uh, solution, you know, to have One Password in your pocket. I always worried about that having my One Password database just on my Mac. Uh, there are ways to back it up and keep information, but you know, what if you're in that situation where you're out in the road and you want to have some access to some website and you created this crazy long password that we just talked about. How are you going to get that? Well, it's very easy with the one password app uh, there's one password touch, which is four ninety nine, and then one password touch pro, which is seven ninety nine. So starting with a basic level of functionality, uh, it syncs your data over. So you, and it does it through Wi-Fi, and it detects your phone. And there's a couple steps you have to go through, obviously, to make sure both computers are aware of each other and that there's somebody else in your house not sucking down your 1Password database. But once you get it set up, it's very simple to sync your data over. It takes all of about 30 or 40 seconds the first time. And it locks the data up on your phone in this independent app. Do you use that one? I use it all the time. And you can set different levels of security. By default, there's a simple, um, you know, four-digit PIN number, for lack of a better use, that you have to punch in just to get access to the app to see what's even in the app. And then depending on how you have your settings, um, and you can specify those within the 1Password desktop application, um, you can choose what level of password. If you, you know, some things you may just want to be able to access with the four-digit passcode. Some things you may want to put in a, a longer password before you access. Okay, so stop there for a second. Now, if you're on your iPhone and you don't have it locked, you know, for the turn-on lock, which you all should have, and someone gets uh, your phone, did I just hear a groan? No, I, I yes, I agree completely that you should. You are you not locking your phone, Katie? <laughs> I do when I travel. Bad Katie. Bad Katie. My phone is on me, so for someone to get access to my iPhone, they're going to have to knock me out, which is possible, but, you know. So uh-huh. if you go down to uh, Starbucks, is it locked? No, but it's in my purse or in my pocket. And if it falls out of your pocket while you're walking out of Starbucks, is it locked? I have a sense about these things. And how are you going to feel when that happens and you know somebody has a list of all your information on your iPhone? I'm going to run home and wipe it. I don't know. I I, I know. I know. Slow. I should and I will. I will. Okay. I will before I get on the, 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 the airplane to go to Macworld. And um, and uh, I if it works out okay, then I won't. I okay. Won't. I won't say any more. I won't say any more. Okay. But I recommend okay. that you have the your password enabled on your phone. It takes all of two seconds to type in a password. So, but let's yeah, say but that, even if you don't, then one password has got you covered still. Yeah, okay. So you, you've got this secure data, like your notes and all your passwords in this one password app. They still have to get through another four-digit password just to get there. And if you've set it up properly, they have another password to actually access the data. So if they get through the four-digit password, 
they're going to know that you have a Zappos account, but they aren't going to read the password unless you have, they get through the second layer of security, which is another password. Either So the, the long and short of it is when you put this data on your phone, it's very secure. And that's what you're looking for. So you can be sitting out at your friend's house and decide to buy a new pair of shoes, uh, whip open your 1Password app, and have your login data right there. Uh, I know it's kind of a pain to uh, get that password over to uh, a person's computer because you've made a secure password with lots of uppercase and lowercase numbers and digits that don't make any sense. But I think that is a small price to pay. Right. And and frankly, there's solutions for that too. If you're working on a Mac, there's some great applications that allow you to transfer data back and forth between the iPhone. And that is a, a really very good solution if you have it installed. I'm a big fan of PaySpot, and I've done that in the past. I've brought passwords onto a computer using PaySpot. So that's the basic functionality of one password iPhone app. One of the things I use it for often that you wouldn't think about are the secure notes, because a, mm-hmm. a lot of times that's not really I'm looking for a password. I'm just looking for a bit of information, and having it in one password app is really good to know that it's secure and it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, it also has a browser built into it, so you can go straight onto a website from within the 1Password Touch app, which is kind of neat. Um, the Pro version, I'm not sure if this is a, a feature of the uh, regular version as well, because I have the Pro version, but it also allows you to create a bookmarklet that I use all the time within the Safari app, not just within 1Password's web browser. But if I'm browsing on my iPhone, and I think this will become even even a better experience on the iPad and I go to a website that requires me to log in uh, from within Safari. If I go to my bookmarks bar on the top level, I have a one password bookmarklet option um, that will pop up a little, I guess it's a Java window. Maybe I'm not sure what kind of window they're using to do the pop-ups, but it will show me all of the logins available for that site. And I have to enter in um, a, a passcode click the one I want, and it will autofill just as it works on the regular desktop version of Safari. Um, it will give you the same functionality within mobile Safari. Yeah, that's really nice. Also, you can go into the app and copy and paste passwords, you know, just as you can in other functions of the uh, OS ten iPhone version of you know, the operating system. Right. So I I really think that the the one password in order if you have an iPod if you have an iPod Touch if you or excuse me if you have an iPhone or an iPod Touch or even an iPad and you use one password I think you're really not getting the full functionality unless you're also using the um, the app. Once again, those are five dollars and eight dollars respectively, and a no brainer. Also released in version 3.0 is a feature that I don't use often, but it's nice to have the ability, and that's called 1Password Anywhere. And um, what this is, is, for example, you've got your 1Password um, file that is generated by 1Password. It's, it's in their special Agile Keychain format, I think is what they use. They call it um, Agile Keychain, so it's a whatever.agilekeychain format. But if you look at it, it it looks just like a regular file, but it actually, on a Mac, it's going to show up as a package file, and on a PC, I believe it's going to show up as a zip file. So on a Mac, if you right-click on that file and you show show package contents, 
you're going to see a couple of folders that probably aren't going to make sense, but you are going to see a um, HTML file that's just named onepassword.html. And when you launch that file, it launches one password anywhere, which is a self-contained uh, HTML file that accesses your one password data. And it has the look and the feel of the one password desktop interface. You type in your one password and it unlocks and you have the ability to access within any web browser all of your logins, all of your secure notes, all of the information um, in your one password wallet, all of your um all of your license keys. So especially if you're using a solution like Dropbox or the iDisk to keep data in sync between multiple computers, um, you do have the ability to access your passwords in a safe, protected, and encrypted way on any computer where you can access that file. Or you could throw it on a, you know, a, a what do they call it, a little flash stick or whatever you, you travel around with. That's really convenient. Uh, they also have ways to sync the 1Password data over multiple computers. It used to be that 1Password attaches data to the OS X keychain, and for a lot of reasons I think they were unhappy with that. And Recently, I guess within the last year, and particularly with version 3, they've added their own keychain, an agile keychain, and I really prefer that because it seems to me like it's entirely too easy to get into the keychain on a Mac computer. So uh, the Agile keychain, I think, is a little more secure. And uh, it also gives them, I think, a little more support for the ability to sync this stuff over. Now, you do lose a little bit when you move to the Agile keychain format. And I think there was some growing pains with this because, you know, your keychains can automatically be synced if you're a mobile me member. Um, but there are so many other solutions out there that once you find a solution that works for you, it's, it's really a non-issue. One password strongly recommends using Dropbox to sync because they, like all of us, have experienced issues, um, you know, using the mobile me sync solutions. Although you could put it in an iDisk and sync it through multiple computers on your iDisk as well, but anyone can get a free Dropbox account of, you know, two gigabytes, which is far more than sufficient to to host your one password file. And they have a really good post on their website explaining exactly how to set up the syncing. I don't think we're going to go through the details here, but uh, it's brainless. Once you get it done, you never have to think about it again. Right. And you also have that advantage of, especially if you're using Dropbox and you have it synced to multiple computers, you can still use that one password anywhere file. Yeah, I run one password on my, on my iMac and my MacBook and it's seamless. I never have any issues. I can type in a password for a new website on the iMac and access it on the MacBook within minutes. Yeah. Um, the one concern that I had initially upon using 1Password, and my fears were relieved pretty quickly, is I am always nervous about getting data out of applications that use proprietary formats. And certainly no reflection on Agile Web Solutions or any other developers, but we've all had that situation where an application that we depend on ceases development, or you can no longer get it to work with the most current versions because the developers have abandoned the product. And I think we've already said that these are great developers who are on top of this product releasing new releases all the time. But still with something like your passwords, there is that concern of how do I get my data out? And um, from the beginning, 1Password has been very good about building in functionality to get your passwords out. You can export your passwords uh, into an encrypted web page archive. You can export them to text. 
You can export them to a Palm or Trio, although I don't think that's going to be as popular now. Um, or you can export them to this 1Password interchange file. So there are definitely, if you decide to move to a different solution, um, there are definitely ways to get all your passwords out. And, you know, by definition, a password application is going to have a secure database that you can't easily, you know, crack into. So that is a worry. You know, what's going to happen if one password drops off the face of the earth? How am I going to get this information out of here? And the easiest way is just to export to a text file, and it makes a nice little text file. It has a list of all the websites. It's tabbed, eliminated. Everything is great. You could um, you could easily import it into your new solution, or uh, or do whatever you want with it. Or you could save it as an encrypted file itself, and just as a backup somewhere. Uh, there's a lot. So of, you're probably not going to be stuck manually retyping all of your passwords or resetting all of your passwords. Yeah. And I guess that's another point about 1Password is stability. I've been using it for years, and it has never caused me any grief at all. How about you? Um, I don't think I've ever had, had never had a problem. I mean, there have been the occasional, like you said, Safari releases an update, um, and it breaks 1Password, but I don't believe I've ever gone more than a day without it being fixed or there being some kind of workaround that would allow me to use it. Something we kind of jumped over at the beginning of the show, though, is you know how do you make this information appear? Uh, one password has its own password, and I guess that really gets back to the name, you know, one password to rule them all. You know, so uh, when you log into your computer, uh, if you haven't logged into one password and you go to fill in one of these logins, it's just not going to fill it in automatically. It's going to require you to type in your one password. So that's an important one. So that's the only one that it won't make for you is the one to open itself. So Make sure you have a good password for that. Make sure you change it pretty often. All right. Um, I don't know, David, if you just got it popped into our email, but we'd been um, asking the folks at 1Password if they had a coupon code or a discount that they would be willing to give out to Mac Power users, listeners, um, who might be interested in giving a try. And I believe there is a 30-day, there is some kind of trial period for 1Password, at least with some kind of limited functionality. Um, but if you haven't jumped on the bandwagon yet and you would like to, there's a just simply use coupon code Mac Power Users all together one one word, um, and it's good for twenty percent off and valid until March fifteenth. And I guess we should, uh, we'll also put a link in our show notes for that because yeah. there's also a link where you can access it directly. Yeah, and the the application costs forty dollars, and twenty percent off is better than a poke in the eye. Yeah, well, and there's also, if you're going to use this on multiple computers or for multiple family members, the um, the family discount, it's what I've bought. You can get a family pack um, for not a whole lot more. In fact, I'm looking right now. Um, so the family uh, license for up to five users is $69.95, and the single user license is $39.95. However, if you have a previous version of 1Password and you're upgrading to version 3, um, then a single license right now is on sale for twenty four ninety five, and a family license for thirty four ninety five. So there you have it. Um, good deal. Thank you, for, uh, Agile Web Solutions, for giving a discount to our listeners. And I just wanted to point out, we are not getting paid uh, any fee or sponsorship by One Password. We're we're giving this episode because we both love the application. It, there's no uh, compensation to us for this. This isn't a paid show. So, right, and that's been the case with all of the other specific shows. Yes. That we've done, whether it be Launch Bar or Scrivener or any of those. Um, 
Also, you know, I did get some emails we were preparing for the show with people talking about another service called LastPass.com, which is a growing mm-hmm. uh, online password solution. And I took a look at it, but, you know, it's not native to the Mac, and I, I just don't see it giving all the answers the way one password does. And I'm not going to go into it in great detail, but I think if you're if you're driving a Mac, you know, head over to Agile Web Solutions and pick up a copy of one password. All right, so I think that about wraps up 1Password, but we're still getting um, quite a bit of feedback in from people, and they seem to like our Onslaught episode we did regarding RSS feeds last week, or last show. Yeah, we got some some interesting email. Uh, uh, one of our readers wrote in and talked about how he has 1,500 feeds. Oh, my gosh. We were talking about a data diet, weren't yeah. we, in that yeah. episode? <laughs> Although I guess if it works for you. Yeah, but he did a really good job. He had um he said he was able to to get through it very quickly and he has a you know, the folders broken down. I still have to wonder though, I mean, wouldn't you have to just delete a lot of stuff without even reading the header files unless you had just a lot of free time? I don't or know. I think it's all about organization. He did mention um that about a third of his feeds are Flickr photo feeds. Or are um, feeds from legal MP3 blogs, so that because uh, NetNewsWire and I'm sure some of these other solutions also have the ability to show um, enclosures and attachments to the RSS feeds. So you can use it as a way to pull down. You could use it as a way to pull down podcasts or to pull down any other kind of feed that has an enclosure. Yeah, you know, we also got some email from uh, from several readers actually who use Evernote in, in place of Instapaper where they'll just save an article to Evernote to read it later. and That certainly works. Um, I mean, you can, with the Evernote Clipper, clip things out and have a very pretty-looking web page. Um, and I think it's probably a good solution if you're in Evernote all the time. I guess, for me, I tend to try to keep my Evernote, which is more data management, and uh, my RSS feeds and my Instapaper, which are more... I don't know, news management, perhaps, separate. What about you? Well, you know, I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around Evernote, and so I don't really use it. But I think Instapaper is fantastic. I like the way it formats the pages. I like the way the iPhone app works. Like, for instance, on the Evernote, on the Instapaper, I'm using the Pro app on the iPhone, and I think this is a feature only in the Pro version. It downloads... When I open it, it downloads and keeps a local copy of all of the InstaClipped articles I have. So if, even if I don't have internet service, I'm on a plane or something, I can still read all the articles. Uh, so it's As long as you've initially downloaded them, of course, because y- the y- iPhone can't do background apps. Exactly. So I go through and, like, last night I cleared out my RSS feed and uh, my, uh, my, uh, my uh, Google Reader. So I put like 10 articles in the Instapaper. And as soon as I got done, I just opened my iPhone, turned on Instapaper, and it downloaded them very quickly. And now those are in there for probably my plane trip tomorrow. Right. Uh, we also got some... Um, but Go ahead, sorry. Hey, you. I, I was just going to say, but Evernote is, is a perfectly workable solution. You just need to be aware that typically Evernote won't download uh, or downloads files as you look at them. So if you're in a place that has no access, you're probably not going to be able to access your fees either. Yeah. We also got some email from Rui who talked about how he uses the services menu to send links to friends when he sees an article of interest. And that was a great idea. I'm going to be uh, taking advantage of that. So you can set up a service to send selection uh, in a, of a URL and easily just do a right click service. We, you go back to our services show you. I'll talk. We talked more about that, but 
So you can set up a service in essence to send these articles instead of uh, sending them through Safari. And I guess for, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, but, but you know, for me, I, I use Safari, and one of the reasons I like Safari is because it has a lot of built-in easy uh, tasks, and one of them is you can email a link or an image of any page you're on with you know one click of the mouse. So that I think that's just about as quick, but I'll have to take a look at it. Um, and lastly, we got a, a great email from Lee who was talking about communicating with a text cache. Um, but there is a, a program called text cache by, is it Bitmakey? We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Lee was saying that he has a 45 minute commute and there, there are various Apple scripts or automator actions that you can use, um, in order to take entries from your RSS feed or from a specific source, um, and then have them converted text to speech, um, and then load it up into iTunes. You know, this is a really good idea, especially for things like the Instapaper feed I'm, I'm loading up. I've got all these articles I want to read and I don't have enough time. And I could set up either using TextCast or an Apple Script workflow a way to take those articles and just convert them to an audio file using Alex's voice, you know, the built-in Alex voice on Mac OS X. And I could just listen to it on my way into work every day. And I am definitely going to follow up on this. Yeah. I, I don't know. The Alex could get on my nerves after a, a while. Well, I think Alex is the best sounding voice of the built-in voices. So. No, I definitely agree, but I still think he can get on my nerves after a while. But we'll have to see. Well, I'm going to go there, so I'll report back. Okay, let us know. Another thing that happened was a lot of folks like me who do the triage on their iPhone with their reader, uh, everybody has their own favorite pet Google Reader application. I had no idea how many there were. And I think I got a, a lot. I think I got about 10 different emails with people telling me how great one or another is. And it ended up costing me some money because I bought a few of them. And I found <laughs> a new favorite one. I was talking about, I think mobile RSS was the one I was using when we recorded. Now I'm using one called Reader with two E's. And uh, that was referred to me by a listener. And I love it. The UI is very clean. It's very Apple-like. And uh, that's one. I think it's $3. It's worth checking out. Right. I'm I'm still having fun with my net news wire. It tends to work for me. Um, we did get a question from one listener, and I'm sorry, David, to put you on the spot. I didn't put it on the show notes. Um, but specifically questioning about the ability to have nested folders within Google Reader. And I know that is a, um, that's a feature within one password that I would probably be lost in organization without the ability to have uh, embedded folders. Is that an option in Google Reader? You know, I'm not sure. I'm going to look at it. I have, the way I set it up, I have a few folders. I don't have nested folders, but let me see. Okay. Okay, so I just did a brief test, and it does not appear to me you can nest folders. It's just one level, but I never realized that because I only use one level anyway. It seems to work for me, but if you need nested folders, you're going to have to move along. Right. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Um, let's talk about what we're doing next because I'm very excited about that. Okay. So the next show is live on the floor of Macworld Expo. And can I just say what an honor it is considering um, some of the talent that's at Macworld to be asked to speak on the, the show floor of Macworld. I am just so giddy, especially being um, a relatively new podcast. Yeah, I think we've had a great year, and I think there's only one pe 
group of people we can thank for that, and that's the people listening to the show. We, we've had great output right. of support from the community. We've had great reviews on iTunes. And frankly, we just got a lot of nice email encouraging us to keep going, which really, as silly as it sounds, is, is really helpful when you do something that takes this much work. Sure. Um, but David and I are both going to be at Macworld, and our plan for the show um, is to bring you some of our favorite apps um, and some favorite products from Macworld. And I think knowing David and I, there's probably going to be a, a slight bias towards productivity apps. We'll see. Probably. Um, but I'm really, ex- I'm really excited to see... Um, uh, what we find from these developers, because every year, you know, especially in Tiny Town, um, you see great solutions from really innovative developers. Um, so we're going to talk about some of our favorites, and our next show obviously is probably going to have a little different sound to it because we're recording on a new setup in front of a live audience. So uh, keep that in mind, and then things will be back to normal after that. Yeah, it, and if you're attending Macworld, please come and watch our show or just stop by and say hello. Uh, the show is going to be recorded on February 13 on the show floor at 2.30. And come by. We're going to have some free stuff for a few people. and Valuable prizes. Uh, if we can, we may even include some uh, listener feedback right in the episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait to do it. Yeah, and if you see David or I wandering around um, Macworld, please feel free to come up and introduce yourself and, and say hi. Don't be shy. Um, that's my favorite part about going to Macworld is to meet geeks like me. Yeah. You're you're among friends, so let's all be friends. I, I have a good time at Macworld every year. It's uh, I don't know how to put it. It's very refreshing to go there and just kind of be a geek for a week and forget about all the other stuff and... I cannot wait. I'm heading out tomorrow morning. Woohoo! Um, and lastly, let's talk about how you can contact us. You can find links to everything we've talked about, um, including that 20% discount code for one password on our website. That's at www.macpowerusers.com. You can also contact us through email through feedback at macpowerusers.com. Right, and either David or I will get back to you, but keep in mind there may be a little Macworld lag. Um, And lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash MacPowerUsers, or you can follow David or or I individually. I'm uh, twitter.com slash Katie Floyd, and you are? Max Sparky at Twitter. There you go. Now, Katie. We do want to. Go ahead. We also should mention, you know, you have a blog now. I am working on a blog. Um so, yeah, throw it in your RSS reader and take a look. It's um, katiefloyd.me. I'm going to be trying to be blogging some of the interesting things from Macworld. And uh, it's I don't quite have all the everything together, but I'm, I'm working on it. And maxsparky.com is always there for your reading pleasure as well. This week I wrote an extended article about Flash versus iPad, uh, you know, the whole big hubbub over whether the iPad should have Flash support. Got some very interesting comments and some very interesting emails as a result of that article. I'd recommend going by and checking that one out. And lastly, we do want to thank Smile on My Mac. Uh, you can visit smileonmymac.com slash MPU to receive 20% off of any of their products between now and February 28th. Uh, also, there is a um, link in the show notes for this podcast as well as a link on our website. Yeah, don't uh, forget about that February 28th deadline. If there's any of the Smile on My Mac products that you want to take advantage of, now's your chance. And uh, we also appreciate iTunes comments. I noticed we did some great ones the last few weeks, and 
always makes us feel good and uh, nice to have the positive. All right. David, I will see you at Macworld. You as well, Katie. I look forward to it. <laughs>